In this time, let us turn our hearts to the Lord as we receive our scripture lesson this morning from Psalm 30, verses 1 through 12. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and did not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol, restored me to life among those gone down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, o you his faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you have established me as a strong mountain. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell you of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me in joy, so that my soul may be praised. You, you, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks to you forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, as we've been talking about, we as human beings go through seasons, hills and valleys, ups and downs, highs and lows, whatever you might want to call it, similar to the very way that our earth goes through its seasons of spring, summer, fall, and winter. We also have times where things are a little bit brighter, times when things are a little bit darker. And right now, we're in one of those not-so-bright seasons. I don't know if you feel that way. I feel that way. I hear a lot of people who feel that way, that we're in one of those seasons where it's just difficult and frustrating and annoying and just, I don't know, insert some other word there that I probably am not allowed to say in church. It's just difficult. We've been calling it a season of weariness, right? Because it's been going on for way too long. And we thought that we were through it, and we, and we, we felt this, this glimmer of hope, and, 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 and you know, I, I don't know if you all recall, but today we were supposed to have like a really big cookout, and we were, we were going to go big today, and then we couldn't. And, and I can't even begin to express how frustrating that was for me personally, because I've really been looking forward to this day. And so we've been in this season, this season of weariness, this era of weariness where we're just tired of the disappointments, tired of the way things are going, and just want some glimmer of hope. And so since day one of this sermon series, as we've been talking about the Psalms, my cliche pastoral advice has been to each of us that in seasons of weariness, just like in seasons of joy and everything in between, the best thing we can do is pray. And I know, like I have said every single Sunday so far, that is the most cliche advice that a pastor could ever give. And sometimes I kick myself for that being my advice because, you know, there, there, surely there's something that's more uh, fun out there. But prayer. But not just 
any prayer, and perhaps not just the way that we've always prayed, but instead turning to this resource that we have that's been with us for, well, millennia, which we call the Psalms. The Psalms are a book of prayers. Some are songs of praise, but yet still a prayer. Some are just angry voices crying out, as we talked about last week, but still a prayer. And each of these psalms serve as a little guide for the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, giving us an idea of how we can pray during this time. And we have been looking at how uh, this resource, how the psalms have been classified by Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, who uh, talks about psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. Orientation, as we talked about, is when we have a direction. To be oriented is to be facing, to have a direction, to know where we are going. To be disoriented is to be lost, to lose that direction, to be unsure where we are going. And then we get to today, reorientation, which is being given a new direction being given a new direction. And we see these patterns that we've been talking about all along, these patterns of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation show up all around us. Perhaps the easiest place to identify them are through our books and movies. You know, if you sit down to watch a movie nowadays, you can be sure to predict a certain number of things that are going to happen in that movie. It's going to start out, and most, most movies are going to start out, and it's going to be kind of happy, right? We're gonna, things are going to feel good, and you're going to be like, yeah, things are working out for people, and it's all good. And then what's going to happen, you know, about an hour into the movie-ish, hour, hour and 15 minutes if it's a normal-length movie? Something's going to go horribly wrong. Everything that they've been setting up since the beginning is just going to fall to pieces. Somebody's going to do something that's just dumb. Somebody is going to mess something up. Or everything's just going to come crashing down. We know that's going to happen in nearly every single movie or book that we have available to us. But we also know that there's still going to be some amount of a happy ending that's going to come to this. So we can just about guarantee that. If we're sitting down to watch a movie, even if it's for the first time, we know that that's kind of going to be the pattern of things, that things are going to start out oriented with this direction, and things are going to feel good and comfortable. And then suddenly something disorienting is going to happen. It's going to be really uncomfortable, and you're going to be like, why? Why is this happening? Things were going so well. And all of a sudden it just falls apart. It's this disorienting experience. But then there's a reorientation where everything comes back together and works out. So we know this pattern. We're pretty familiar with it. Even as often as it shows up in our own lives, we see it around us all the time. Like I was saying before during the children's moment, one of my all-time favorite movies, I'm serious, like hands down, all-time favorite movies is The Lion King. And I can't actually explain why it's my all-time favorite movie, but I will sit and watch this on repeat the exact same way today as I will sit and watch it on repeat whenever I was three years old. Like, I love The Lion King. It's just so fun. It's just so interesting. And also, you know, it's got that little tie-in to Shakespeare's Hamlet, which is fun as well. 
But uh, in The Lion King, if you haven't seen it before, I'm just going to go ahead and spoil the whole movie for you. We start out with this, uh, with this little lion cub who is born. And this is going to be the new king of the pride whenever, uh, whenever the cub's father uh, passes away. And so this little cub is presented before the whole animal kingdom and it's all this great celebration and we get to see how this little cub uh, grows up a little bit into a, a, a young cub, a young lion cub, and the antics that he gets into with his best friend Nala, this little cub being Simba. And Simba and Nala get, get into a little bit of trouble here and there and they sing songs and it's all fun and everything. But there's a bad guy in the movie, a guy named Scar. Terrible name for anybody. I did learn, actually, this week that uh, that's not his birth given name. There's actually a book, The Lion King, that gives his actual name that now I can't remember it, but it's a really like, dis disrespectful name in the, in the Swahili language. <laughs> and so whenever he gets uh, attacked by a wildebeest, he, ha he takes on the name Scar. And Scar should be next in line to receive the throne but then Simba was born, and it's all, he's not happy about this. So he sets up this process where he can become king by getting rid of his brother Mufasa and, uh, and then getting rid of Simba. And so he sets it up, sets up his plan perfectly, and uh, Mufasa ends up dying, trying to save Simba from a herd of wildebeest who are going crazy. And Scar confronts Simba and tells him, you need to run because you did this. You're the reason for this happening. Essentially saying you killed your father. A terrible thing to tell a child. Terrible. And, and so Simba, Simba runs away and on the verge of death he encounters two uh, quirky characters, Timon and Pumbaa, a meerkat and a warthog. And they teach him this motto, Hakuna Matata. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem, free philosophy, hakuna matata, all that stuff. And, uh, and it's this, this idea that just, just forget about it. It's in the past. We're, gonna, we're just going to forget about it and move on. And so Simba grows up into this, uh, into this you know, great lion uh, and with this motto in his mind, just don't worry about what's happened in the past. You'll be good. Until he runs into his childhood best friend Nala again and... And she lets him know that everything back home is just falling apart thanks to his uncle. And eventually Simba has this reckoning with both Nala and with himself and with this monkey or, um, what is he, Rafiki. Is he a baboon? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, baboon. Perfect. Yeah. Some, some primate creature uh, named Rafiki. And then ends up encountering his father, Mufasa, in this like weird vision, spiritual sense. And he ends up remembering, you know what? I can't just run away from all of my problems. I have to actually confront this. And so he confronts Scar. And Scar makes, him, makes Simba confess to everybody that, that Simba is the one who killed Mufasa. But then Scar, in this uh, devious moment, accidentally, not accidentally, but confesses that he's the one who actually killed Mufasa. And Simba gets all the strength and takes down Scar. And it's you know, this great heroic moment, right? And then when Simba is, is instated as the king of the pride, then all of a sudden everything is restored and everything that was dead comes back to life. And it's just this beautiful moment like like this. That's the whole of The Lion King for you. I just saved you an hour and a half of your life. <laughs>
But in this, we see all of these moves, the orientation where Simba and Nala as children are just like happy-go-lucky and everything's going to work out, and, and Simba's just ready to be like a full-grown lion and for things to be awesome. But then there's this disorienting event that happens a little earlier than in most uh, movies, but it happens again later on when he's forced to, to face that disorienting event head-on. But then there's this reorientation when he's able to overpower his uncle Scar and then assume the, the, the throne as the king of the pride. And so we see all of these moves right there. We see the very sim, same moves showing up in our psalm today. Yeah, I, I'm going to bring it back to the Bible now. Uh, this psalm, Psalm 30, that we have before us, is known as a psalm of reorientation. Now, this psalm is traditionally ascribed to King David, although some scholars say it could be ascribed to Hezekiah, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, whoever wrote it, they obviously wrote it after a time that was very disorienting. For the best that we can tell from this, we don't have any record of this happening to King David, though we do have a record of it happen happening to Hezekiah, that the author got really sick like really sick, on the verge of death. And this was that disorienting moment because this, is, this person is a person who feels like everything should work out, whether it's Hezekiah or David, both of them very influential men, feel like everything should work out for them. And all of a sudden they get deathly ill. And so the author has this cry out, uh, which, we, which we have uh, starting in verse 8, To you, O Lord, I cried, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me, O Lord, my helper. So the author has this cry out to God in this moment of disorientation, asking for God's salvation. And what happens? Verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have taken off my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, so that my soul may praise you and not be silent. Even at the beginning, we have, uh, we have the uh, emblem of this uh, when we have in verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. So we have this psalm of restoration from, uh, from the author's life, this person who was close to death and illness and cries out to God, and God has this restorative moment, and it's reorienting for that person. You see, as we witness in both... Uh, this psalm and in the Lion King, we often have to hit our lowest points in order to become our best selves. That's pretty unfair, if you ask me. I feel like we should be able to hit our best selves whenever we want, but oftentimes it does end up after our lowest moment. But perhaps another way to put it is that it's not until we lose all sense of direction that we know where we are supposed to go. Consider that. It's not until we lose all sense of direction that we know where we are supposed to go. So, where do we go? The thing that we need to understand about reorientation is that, is that it's not repeat orientation. In other words, we're not going back to the way things were. The temptation is that whenever all the bad stuff is gone, then we should just go back to normal. My goodness, how often have we said that in the past year and a half? I just want things to go back to normal. Reorientation is not repeat orientation. Because for some reason, something about the way things were before wasn't actually working for us. Our 
you know, society before COVID-19 wasn't prepared for COVID-19. Now we're trying to reorient ourselves into something new uh, that can be more prepared for things like this. So, so even if we know that the way things were before was not working or healthy, for some reason we have this temptation to go back there because it's comfortable, because it's easy, because it's familiar. And so we, we want to go back to the way things were before, but consider for a moment, and if I may be so crude, that that is really the textbook definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? That's why it's not repeat orientation. That's why it's not going back to the way things were before. Instead, it's moving on to something new, something better something more exciting. Can you imagine if Simba tried to go back to the way things were before Mufasa died as a child who just wanted to play games? Oh wait, we actually got to see that. Simba tries to repeat orientation uh, after he meets uh, Timon and Pumbaa. And what is he doing all day, every day, just lounging about, being lazy, eating bugs and all this, uh, you know, stuff that most lions don't do. Uh, and it looks all fun and everything, but it's not until Simba actually reaches reorientation that his life reaches its peak, right? So it's not about just going back to the way things were before. It's about moving on to something new. Reorientation means moving towards something new built on what we have learned from the old orientation as well as the disorientation. The second thing to understand about reorientation is that we don't stay at rock bottom, right? That's the beauty of reorientation. Disorientation, that's really difficult. And we talked about the difficult nature of disorientation last week, that, that it's, it's very complicated. Whenever you get into that really dark, depressing, really confusing and frustrating pit of despair, and it's okay to be there. That's an important thing that the Psalms do articulate. It's okay to be there. However, the goal is not to stay there. Nobody wants to stay there. And so the idea is to move on to reorientation. We don't stay at rock bottom. Instead, we praise God for what God is doing, and then we join in the process. Disorientation may take us to our lowest moments, but reorientation beckons us to our highest moments potential. That's what this is all about. We have this orientation of what we once were. We're going through a disorienting event right now. Uh, we particularly as a, as, as a church, because not only are we contending with COVID-19, but we also are, are displaced from our normal meeting space and things are really confusing. And we, we are like in this hybrid format where half of us are meeting online and half of us are meeting here and we're trying to figure out uh, how to do all of this th these things and how to do ministry and be the church in the midst of it all. We're in a pretty big disorienting event. But the beauty of this process is we don't stay there. Instead, we start looking toward the reorientation. We start looking toward the new, the hope of what we can become, the highest potential we have before us. Simba has to reconcile with his past 
In The Lion King, he has to actually face it and confront it and acknowledge what he has done. And he even confesses to being the reason why his father Mufasa dies. He actually vocalizes that in front of everybody, but then he comes to the realization that it's not actually his fault and that's a whole new uh, orienting experience for him. But he has to actually confront that and then he's able to move on to become the king of the pride, the king of the animal kingdom, the, the one who everything ends up growing back into goodness around, right? So that reorientation is a move out of the disorientation. And it's not easy to move out of disorientation because our tendency is one, to go back to the way things were, or two, we get way too comfortable with the disorientation. We found us a nice spot on the ground in the pit, and we're like, ah, I'm okay here. We're meant for so much more. David's life, the very same, or whoever the author of Psalm 30 uh, was, has this reorienting moment that gets to verse 12, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's this reorienting moment in which the, the psalmist acknowledges my life is meant to be for God's praise, right? So that we ha that the psalmist had to go through that disorienting moment, a disorienting experience to come to understand that new place of reorientation to be the one to praise God forever. And we know that he, whether this was David or not, David himself goes on to write many of the psalms of praise. And so as we're considering psalms of reorientation and what it means to utilize these kinds of psalms as our guide to prayer, I want us to consider what it might look like for us as a church today to reorient, right? We, like I said, have been oriented before. We knew how things were. We were very familiar with it. And we've gone through this disorienting process and we just keep claiming we want things to go back to normal. I personally don't want things to go back to normal. Why? Because normal before all of this wasn't working out all that well for us either. It might have been comfortable and, and we might have known how to do things, but we still had so much potential on the horizon before. Now, I want us to move beyond the potential on the horizon to the horizon where the potential is, beyond the disorientation itself and into the reorientation. So my challenge for us today is to acknowledge, as the psalmist does, that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. To acknowledge and see how God is turning our mourning into dancing, to take the new direction that God has set before us. And that's why today, of all days, we're launching our three ministry teams. Because God is still at work. And we would not be the church if we just let the work of God pass us by. And so my challenge for us today is to get plugged into a ministry team. Pretty simple. Yes, I am making a shameless plug for these ministry teams. I'm going to do it as often as possible because I believe in the mission and ministry of Spring Hill Athens United Methodist Church. I believe what we can do. And if you don't feel comfortable or prepared or, or like you're going, wanting to get involved in a ministry team here at Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church, then get involved in the ministries that are going on all around us. 
because there are plenty that are going on. But I do hope that you will consider the ministry teams here at Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church because I personally, I refuse, and yes, I'm going to be real stubborn about this, but I refuse to let Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church become lost in the disorientation of COVID-19 or any other disorienting event. I, I wasn't placed here to do that. I'm not going to let us take the easy way out. Instead, I hope that you all will join me and climb out of this pit of despair and whatever else might be in it and let us show the world what Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church can do and in whose name we will do it. In other words, let us adopt this new direction that God has placed before us and take part in the work that God is doing all around us. Let us be reoriented to God. And may these psalms be our guide to prayer through it all. And in that same vein, let us pray.